Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Well, our usual opening didn't work today, so we're going to. Uh, I'm Don Mazzella. This is Small Business Digest, and we have a very unusual program for you today. Uh, we have with us Matthew Baker. He, he's the VP of Strategy uh, for uh, Fresh Books. He's uh, uh, calling in for, uh, today from Florida, but he's normally based in uh, in California. But the, and the company itself is in Toronto, which makes it, amongst um, uh, other things, uh, a semi-virtual company, which a lot of us are. Matthew, welcome to the program. John, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, uh, we appreciate that you took the time. Uh, as we ask every one of our guests, Matthew, tell us a little bit about yourself before we talk about anything else. Sure. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, I'm I'm leading the strategy efforts for FreshBooks, and uh, really, uh, it's a great opportunity for me to bring together sort of small business software and strategy, which were two separate roles in, in the past. Um, the first one in small business software, I worked at Google for four years when they were launching uh, a product called Google Apps. It's now called G, G Suite. Um, and it was a, you know, a, a white-labeled version of Gmail and Calendar for small businesses. And so that was an exciting time. And, and after that, I spent some time doing management consulting uh, at, at one of the uh, larger firms called McKinsey, where I was um, sort of uh, brought through the rigor of, of strategic planning at large. And so uh, the opportunity at FreshBooks was a great way to bring sort of small business software and technology plus strategy in, into one role. Well, you're now with FreshBooks. Um, tell us a little bit about the company first and uh, and also about a very interesting survey, which is one of the reasons we asked you to be on the program. Great. Thanks, Don. I'd, lo I'd love to. And so FreshBooks, we we cater to self-employed professionals and their teams or, or also known as small business owners. And sometimes it's even referred to you know as the gig economy for uh, independent workers. And so if uh, if you're an independent worker of some sort and you need to uh, get paid for your time and expertise, you use software like like FreshBooks to send your invoices, and uh, and then behind the scenes we do we do the accounting for you, so that in the uh, in the application you can see not only um, you know how much money you're making, but you know per client, and you can also link in things like expenses and time, and um, you know essentially run your business through through the FreshBooks software. Okay, that's your product. Now, tell us a little bit about the survey uh, that you did, which uh, I found yeah. fascinating, and I think our audience will as well. Thanks. Uh, absolutely, yes. Uh, certainly, um, the way I would phrase it is, is it's the first, and if not the first, then, then the largest of its, of its kind, um, at least that's available on, on the market today in terms of this survey. So what we did is we, we uh, surveyed exclusively folks that, work for themselves as their primary source of income. And we tried to uh, be quite comprehensive in what we could learn about folks that are in this segment of the market. A lot of the other surveys that are out there today often try to size the market. And so they may come up with an answer that says, hey, there's you know, 50 million people in the United States working for themselves or some other uh, number. But in order to do a survey like that, you got to talk to everybody that has a traditional job so you can see how many are doing self-employment. And so we said, you know what, let's skip trying to size the market. There's a lot of work that's already doing there. Let's go into the folks who are a part of that segment and understand them as best as best as we can. And so we uh, looked at a, a, a bunch of different factors and we you know, asked them about their experiences across things like um, politics, family life, financial management, having a safety net in place, uh, outsourcing tasks, and even you know, sort of sales activities. Uh, and so, um, Anyhow, I'd love to share some of the some of the results if if, if that makes sense. Okay, so so begin. Tell us as much as you can because it's all yours. Okay, great. Well, let me. Um, I'll mention a couple highlights and then we can decide to talk about uh, you know some of them in more in more detail. I mean, certainly the one that jumps out from the top line is you know more than eight in ten say hey they have no interest in going back and having a traditional a traditional job if they ever had one, and so. That you know signals to me that there's a, a tremendous source of pride in folks that are working for themselves and working independently, and they 
want to continue to do so. And so to the extent that FreshBooks can help them, you know, that's a, a fantastic uh, place, place to be. Um, but the, the reason that that's interesting in some ways is because a lot of the, what you read is around, you know, there's corporate restructuring and there's a lot of people that are getting forced into uh, having to work for themselves. Um, but by virtue of, you know, so, so many uh, preferring it, it sounds like no matter how they got there, um, you know, the flexibility and, and the other benefits is, is something that they want to hold on to. So that's a, that's uh, a top, uh, top line. Oh, go ahead. Well, uh, well we, we've got the time. I'll dig a little deeper, but uh, I'd like to ask you a question at, at this point. Um, you know, as with every survey, it's, in some respects, they're self-selective. Uh, um, but uh, do you think that you're hearing more from people who are satisfied with the gig being a gig? Uh, than, or do you think uh, your survey is fairly representative? Well, we we feel we've done uh, quite a bit in our methodology to to, to make it uh, rep representative of that. And what I mean there is, for example, a, a good 25%. Uh, well, let me just start at this and say overall there was around uh, 1,700 people in the survey. And we, uh, to make it more representative, a full 25% of those folks are making less than $20,000 a year. And so by virtue of that, it's, it's not folks that are, you know, self-selecting and saying, hey, they're making, uh, you know, much more than everybody else. Therefore, you know, they're more satisfied and things of that nature. So that's one way is by, you know, ensuring that it has all income levels. Well, I was just going to say, uh, rest assured, I agree with you. And, and I know uh, one of the reasons you're on, I think your survey is one of the best done. But it is uh, it is in line with two or three other surveys we've seen. I wasn't doubting it. I was just um, uh, uh, asking a question that some people always ask about a survey. But I, I tend to agree with you. Your survey is probably one of the largest on, uh, on the subject and probably the most in-depth. So um, uh, uh, rather than uh, uh, belabor that point, uh, please tell us some more from, from the survey. We're talking with Matthew Baker. He's VP of Strategy for FreshBooks. He's talking about their fascinating sur survey about the gig economy, and, and we just want him to continue. But I had to ask that question. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. And listen, I think I think you're right to a certain extent. You know, we only know what people tell us, and sometimes you know their behavior can be different from what they say. But um, but it, at least it's a, it's a starting point for us. And so um, you know, jumping off from that part where we talked about you know the folks wanting to who are doing it to want to stay there, um, there's also though uh, some of the things we found around you know real real opportunities for people to to improve their businesses if they're working for this for themselves. Uh, one in particular that I think we're talking about is we found less than one in four are following seven basic financial habits of, of highly effective business owners. And, and what I mean by that is we, we looked into seven habits and, you know, it's hard to keep a list of seven in your head, but I, I can describe some of them such as, uh, do you maintain a budget or do you pay yourself, you know, um, directly from, from business earnings? Or do you set aside income specifically to pay taxes? And so anyhow, there's, there's seven of these habits. And we found, uh, as I mentioned, less than one of four are doing all seven. And what's interesting is that the ones, though, that are doing all seven of them, they have uh, higher income than the, than the rest. And they also have higher satisfaction. And so I think as a, as a toolkit for small business owners or, or self-employed professionals, um, following these seven uh, habits is, is a great way to uh, improve the, the, the livelihood of the business. Um, furthermore, when we looked at individual individually, each of those seven habits, like 50, around 50% of people are doing it. So it's not as though we're asking uh, folks or thinking that folks need to take on something that's completely new. Lots of folks are doing any of these seven, just not all seven at the same time. Well, that's really inter interesting. Uh, please, um, um, Matthew, you, you continue to fascinate me and hopefully our audience. Uh, can you give us some more information from your survey? Yeah, uh, absolutely, Don. Thanks. Um, another one that I think is, you know is interesting is one of the things we we looked at was the generational differences across uh, self-employed professionals. And so, you know, our survey touches on uh, about half of the folks in the survey are baby boomers. 
a quarter or so are Gen X and, and another quarter are, are millennial. Uh, and we found that in particular with sales techniques, um, there is quite a bit of, of discrepancy between uh, the youngest and the oldest, uh, meaning the oldest group, the, the baby boomers, um, tend to find more effectiveness around personal networking. So you think of it as the old, uh, you know, kind of walking up on doorsteps and knocking the door, but, but face-to-face networking is where um, they find the most, success, most uh, successful sales techniques. On, on, on the contrary, uh, millennials are, are finding it uh, much more effective to do online, online techniques. Uh, which would be things like, you know, social media and, 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 and you know, other tactics of that nature. And um, while you may assume that that's sort of the case, um, given that, you know, so much more of the world is online, at least now we're seeing it, you know, we're, see, we're seeing it in the data. And I can think even to my own experiences, you know, uh, a business on the side or looking for work, um, you know, I can, I can think of, uh, you know, my parents suggesting to me to, you know, go and visit my, you know, potential employers and knock on the door and talk to people and I can remember being kind of caught between doing that versus, you know, all the online techniques. And I think we've, you know, for, the, for at least the youngest generation, really, um, you, you see them starting to embrace uh, o- online marketing. Okay. It's, uh, that's, uh, that's really uh, fascinating. We're talking with Matthew Baker. He's VP of strategy for Fresh Books. And he's talking about the, their uh, absolutely f- fascinating s- study of the gig economy, which I don't think anybody has quite done as in-depth as they have. Uh, Matthew, could you give us a couple of more um, uh, data points from, from the survey from your point of view? Yeah, um, and another one, if I, you know, so I was so trying to highlight some of the, the opportunities there. One, you know, that is kind of a, an alarm bell, if, if we can call it that, is, you know, even though I mentioned, you know, half the people in the survey are, are baby boomers, what we found is, is four in 10 don't have any retirement savings at, at all. And, you know, that's sort of a reality that I think, you know, we, we don't necessarily think about the implications for every day. And so, you know, I think that that means, you know, a number of things. One is when you work for yourself, you don't have the structure in place of employers matching, you know, 401ks or, or other types of things. And so you truly, you know, need to solve that on your own. Um, and so that may be a hurdle that that's happening. You know, I'm just um, uh, sort of speculating in some ways. Um, it could also be that, you know, as an implication of this, folks that are working for themselves are just going to have to work longer because they don't have the retirement um, savings in place yet. And so they're going to need to get there or they're going to, uh, you know, as I mentioned, just kind of continue to, to, to work a bit longer. But at some in some way, as more and more folks decide to work for themselves, um, we, we can't sort of ignore the, the need for retirement planning. And I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for, you know, potential partners of ours in the ecosystem or just the, the private sector uh, at large to find ways to, um, to, to, to create easy retirement options for, for people that are uh, working for themselves and they need to, to plan for the future. Uh, in your survey, did you try to discover how much time they devote, say, to looking for other clients or any da- data like that? You know, we, we looked at how they think about uh, the need the need to go and, and um, look for other clients, as you mentioned it. What we found was, you know, folks, they're, they're spending somewhere, call it around, 20% of their time today uh, on, on the sales efforts that we were talking about. And then, um, yes. you know, around, around half are saying, are, are saying to us, hey, I think that's probably right. I should be spending about 20% of my time. And if you think about, you know, working a full week, you know, 20% of your time is, is you know, sort of one, one, day, uh, one, one day a week spent on, on, on prospecting. Um, and so half of the people are saying, yeah, that sounds good. But certainly – very few are saying, you know what, I wish, um, I, I, I think I should be spending less. If anything, you know, um, a full kind of, you know, call it one in three are saying, you know, I'm not spending enough time, enough time doing it. And we started to ask about, you know, why? Um, because the growth of any business is, it, you know, you have to spend time on sales and, process, on, on sales and prospecting. If you're just um, delivering work, uh, you know, it's, you're gonna, it's gonna be difficult for your business to grow. And so uh, when, we, when we started asking them why, 
um, you know, one out of two is saying, hey, I'm, I'm actually just um, too busy executing to, in order to sell. And so then there's a, you know, the question of how do they sort of leverage their time more effectively or, or, or bring on, you know, subcontractors and other uh, ways to extend themselves. Um, one in three are simply saying, you know what, I just, I dislike it. Uh, you know, the, the whole mantra or the mindset of sales is something that a lot of folks who, um, you know, care more about the work that they're doing than, than the sales per se, uh, are sort of actively avoiding it. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, something that's going to continue to limit the, the growth of the business. Um, and then, you know, maybe around uh, the majority are saying, hey, it's just a challenge, which means it might not be a core, um, a core skill set. And that's why I think it was helpful that we started to look at um, some of the tactics that are in place and some of the ones that, uh, you know, this is news that I think um, other business owners can, can, can use to, to help themselves. Some of the most highly effective ways to bring on new clients are, uh, of course, we already talked about referrals and sort of face-to-face -face networking. Um, but a lot of folks found um, in our survey have found it successful to teach, train, or speak at conferences as, as a way of getting the word out, which leads to ultimately more, more uh, clients. We also talked about content marketing, some of those, um, some of those things, and then you know, varying levels of, of success with um, you know, establishing uh, um, uh, you know, joining uh, industry events or associations or um, even as far as we tested the idea of sending clients gifts, if that's a way of like, reciprocal leads to, to more business and that's in some ways is gaining some some traction. So I think, anyhow, if I were to sort of summarize that, to, to a certain extent, folks, I think, largely are saying, hey, I should be spending more time selling. I'm just not sure how to do it or I'm not comfortable doing it. And so hopefully through this list, um, you know, they may be able to say, you know what, I ought to, you know, consider speaking at this event as a way of getting the word out and see if I can um, drum up some business that way. Well, they say that uh, speaking at events is the best way for consultants to, uh, or to writing a book. Did you ask that, uh, uh, whether they had written a book or other white paper by any chance? You know, we, we didn't. We, we touched on things like blogging uh, or writing newsletters, but I, um, unfortunately I don't have anything on you know, going down the path of uh, uh, writing a book, for example. Well, I was just curious because you know they, yep. um, the, um, many uh, uh, book companies say you should write a book if you're a consultant, etc. But uh, l let me go a, a little bit sideways and ask you a totally different question. Uh, several years ago, I had on this program a woman who had a very interesting uh, thought, uh, and what she said was, uh, "You should use your invoices to sell sell your services." And to um, uh, those fresh books, uh, for instance, uh, uh, she said, and I never forgot that. I do this all myself. That um, you should um, ask in every uh, bill that you send out for a referral. Um, uh, do you, does fresh books uh, 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 do this, or have you thought about it? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know what? I think I, I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, it's something that we don't have uh, sort of in a one-click way that folks can do today. But certainly, some of the people in our in our customer base take advantage of communication via the invoice more than others. Um, what we get the most questions on are um, how do I construct the invoice in a way that's going to lead to um, faster faster payment. And um, and you know and and likelihood that the that the payment goes goes through uh, or that you know the folks pay and so um, what I mean by that is oftentimes the questions we get around or how do I construct the terms on the invoice to be most effective, but I think you're highlighting uh, the opportunity for follow-on sales and so I see some of the folks um, you know provide links or notes uh, in in the invoice itself that asks for a referral or points to other services that they provide uh, which. Um, and anyway, I think it is a fantastic suggestion, and to some extent, it's something we we could we could consider uh, making. Um, you know, a, a, like I was mentioning, sort of more of a one-click or just an easier way of of getting getting that through in the future. Well, I I have an e email that just came across my um, uh, computer that I'm going to ask you because I think it's a darn good question. Um, 
the the question is what what are the key elements to writing a a, a quote good unquote uh, invoice to get it um, uh, listened to? Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? We're talking with Matthew Baker. He's VP of Strategy for FreshBooks. So, uh, Matthew, uh, I know this is a strange question, but it's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, well, certainly, I think uh, you know we do a, a few things in, in in FreshBooks to you know to try to help our customers succeed. At the end of the day, if if they can get paid faster and they can save time, then you know using FreshBooks is is a great um, uh, a great solution for them. Um, where, where I get into some of the terminology, I think being specific around, uh, you know, some of the due dates and the terms in terms of, you know, is it due in 15 days or 30 days, you know, things like that specificity uh, is certainly uh, helpful in getting paid. The other thing that we offer through our service that I think um, folks really like is we'll, we, we, we do um, follow-up reminders, and so we call it sort of a, a late payment reminder. And so through the system itself, you can turn on that um, you know, you send the initial invoice, and then you can pick if it's five days or ten days or however. There's a follow-up that goes out through the system to the client, you know, reminding them. In some way, in some ways, by um, allowing the system to do it, it abstracts the owner from it, and so you don't feel like you're nagging your client to pay you. Instead, um, the system is doing it, and so in some ways, you know, it it, it just takes the burden off them, and it leads. We found absolutely that it leads to. Um, you know, clients, uh, you know, respecting those those terms and paying and paying quicker. So those are, um, you know, some some of the example uh, example things that exist today. Well, um, I don't know if you're aware, but um, there was a big story in the publishing industry yesterday that Vanity Fair has stopped um, uh, uh, putting on a surcharge if uh, their freelance writers wanted to uh, get paid earlier. They, they, in fact, uh, uh, said that if they paid early, they they took a, um, uh, uh, I think, a one or two percent off the uh, bill. But um, uh, how do, how does one really uh, learn the, um, the 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 payment schedule of a client? I mean, uh, when they get issued an I/O order. Um, uh, I/O order, etc. But sometimes um, we're not given uh, I/O orders or anything like that, and we don't know what a payment schedule is, and often are at a mercy. Do you have any um, ideas for uh, uh, not only consultants but anybody, including ourselves, on how to uh, uh, determine? Uh, the payment schedule, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? Yeah, you know what, I think I think it's a good question. I think it's also, it underscores some of the challenges in this particular market of, of small business owners and self-employed professionals in the sense that um, it depends on who your, who your client is. And so some of our clients are more traditional, um, you know, business to consumer facing. Some are business to other small business facing. And then there's also another group that are business to, enterprise facing and I think potentially what you're talking about here is the enterprise world in which um, you know people who are working for themselves are are doing work on on behalf or, or doing work for large companies and so in that sense um, you know sometimes you feel like you're at the mercy of, of the, the larger company in, in the negotiating process um, and, and they may dictate some of uh, some of the terms and it sounds like you know some um, some of the larger uh, companies may have uh, agreements in place where if they pay inside of a certain you know window, then as you were mentioning, you get uh, you know a bit of a discount. Um, I, I think often what happens is it depends too if you're dealing with a person you know a person that's going to um, represent the client and pay you, or if you end up having to go through a uh, an enterprise or an organization's uh, you know accounts payable department and things of that nature. And so what I've found is. If you have to go through a department to to do it, um, oftentimes you can just simply inquire about their, um, their their terms, and so you'll know what you're getting into in advance, which can be helpful um, because sometimes the the cycle of getting paid um, can take a long time, uh, and so you know if, if 
if you need to get paid in 15 days, but but you, you talk to that group and, and you find out, uh, you know, they don't pay until 60 net 60 or something like that. You know, it can it can create a real cash flow problem for some of the for some of the small small businesses. So I mean, what I would suggest absolutely is, uh, you know, having some of those conversations can, can be helpful if you're up against that. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, some of the strategies that we, we were just talking about were, um, you know, how to be clearer on your on your um, on your invoice and the terms so that you can set set the expectation um, up front. The other thing that we sometimes recommend is um, enabling online payments. And so, um, you know, much of the world still exists today in cash or check. But through through FreshBooks, uh, you, you can say, yes, I'll accept credit cards. And what we found is generally, if somebody pays by credit card, you, you end up getting paid faster. It takes a few days to get through the payment gateways, uh, you know, so the money hits your bank account. But oftentimes, that's much quicker than waiting for a check in the mail and having to, you know, to upload that. And so to the extent that you um, understand how the, you know, not only when, but how the, your client is interested in paying, um, that, that can help set you up for success uh, as well. Uh, Matthew, uh, if our listeners want, want to know more about FreshBooks or uh, your website, can you tell us and your website and how people can reach you or, or someone who can help them? Yeah, certainly. Um, uh, by all means, please uh, go to www.freshbooks.com. Um, we uh, have have all of uh, you know. You can sign up for a free trial right right there and and, and start using FreshBooks. And uh, you know, we believe it's um, you know very uh, very easy to use and something you can set up and test uh, immediately. And we also stand behind our, our customer service uh, request, which is you know you talk to a live person and and, and, um, and you know take a look at it. What we find is. Um, you know, certainly if this, you know, if you're, if you're listening and, and you run your own business, you know, lots of people try to figure out how to do it on their own to start. And you know, they may be creating uh, invoices and kind of tracking their income in, in places like Microsoft Word or Microsoft Excel. And to a certain extent, um, you know, you, you outgrow that and, and FreshBooks is a great, uh, a, a great system once you're, you're ready to, to get everything organized in one place and have it, you know, sort of flow through so that there's a, you know, an accurate tally of all the all the work that you're doing and, um, and, and, and you get a, a view of your business, um, that, that is really unparalleled. So, so that's the, that's the quick story there. Um, can you spell out your website? This is radio and it all often helps. Yeah, sure. Uh, FreshBooks as, uh, F R E S H B O O K S. Uh, and that's freshbooks.com. I, I know uh, it, it seems uh, normal, but believe me, after all these years, we, we like to spell it out. Well, we've been talking with Matthew Baker. He's a, a VP of strategy for FreshBooks. Matthew, um, I'd just like to ask you one, one last question. Um, uh, based on your survey and what you're doing, do you think the gig economy is going to expand over the next couple of years or uh, – what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, you know what? I think that's a. It's interesting. It took us this long to get to that question. It's a fascinating one, and and uh, and I'm definitely in the in, in in the mindset of I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, you know, some of the reports and some of the thoughts that that, um, that I'm seeing is you know by the year 2020 or by the year 2025, uh, you know, 50 percent of of Americans will will be working independently in one way or another. Um, and so I think with the technology that makes it so easy to to uh, find to find work, there's more of these you know marketplaces that exist there today, as well as the technology we've been talking about today around um, you know invoicing people and getting paid for for your time or, or expertise. I see more and more people are going to move to that. And and the other thing we, we you know we talked about in the survey, we didn't we didn't get into the details too much here, but um, the reason people are so satisfied with it is is the feeling that they're not stuck to the, the traditional job. And so just the mindset there of, you know, I own my, my own future. Um, I want to be able to set my own time. Uh, you know, and just because I work my own time doesn't mean I'm going to be working at, you know, 2 a.m. It's more of the freedom of I work, um, you know, who, who I want, uh, who, who I want. I work with who, whomever I want and, and for the people that I want. And so a lot of times um, as we speak with folks, you know, they, they, they're working for themselves because they want to pick their own, their own clients. And, and you know, and, and, and I guess I'll give you one more, which is just if you look at the proliferation of everybody on places like LinkedIn and, and, and Twitter and some of these other places, everyone's got a personal brand of some sort today. 
which in some ways just lends itself to being, you know, a self, you know, a self-employed professional. And so the more that you're able to get out there what you, you know, your expertise, the more that you can, um, you know, combine combine forces with a potential client and help them uh, using your expertise. And so I see, anyway, um, to that extent, I see uh, absolutely more folks um, transitioning from a traditional job to a uh, to to working independently. And now, you know, the, the challenge will be things that we talked about around retirement and other safety net things to to make sure that folks are set up for. Uh, you know, um, sort of a, a full career and working for themselves. Well, wow. you know, when you brought up that personal brand, you're, you're so right. And I've not heard that before. And, and um, that alone was worth the interview to hear from you, Matthew. Thank you. Oh, great. All right, thanks, it's a very interesting. Uh, I would like you to come back sometime uh, uh, in the future and talk more about that because I, I think that's a whole new area to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Matthew, we've been talking with Matthew Baker. He's a VP of strategy for FreshBooks, and he's certainly given us an awful lot to think about. Matthew, thank you for joining us. Thanks, thanks again for having me, Don. Appreciate it. No, we appreciate you. Have a good day. Our next guest, I, I'm really looking forward to, because uh, he has some information about uh, how work is going. That I, I personally am really looking forward to hearing about. Kyle Tensing, we welcome you to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Well, uh, Kyle, as we do with all our guests, tell us a little bit about yourself personally, personally before we go into anything else. Sure. I am the online content editor at CareerCast.com, and uh, just I, I've been with that organization for about four and a half years, and uh, just some background on CareerCast. We are a, a national job news information website as well as uh, a place for job search uh, information. You can find career listings in a variety of fields and a variety of organizations from all over the country uh, in the CareerCast database job search engine. And uh, I'm based in Southern California and uh, graduate of the University of Arizona. Hmm. Well, well we, we also know from a very source that you're a very good father as well. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, um, you have a new survey your company does. Um, tell us a little bit about it and what you found. Sure. Well, uh, first to give some background information, uh, at CareerCast.com, we put out a series of reports every year called the Jobs Rated Reports. And we have a big one that comes out, uh, will actually be coming out soon, it comes out in mid-April, that ranks 200 different jobs. And we try to touch on a variety of different industries so that we're looking at things like healthcare and tech, as well as uh, labor jobs, you know, things in construction and uh, carpentry and things like that. And uh, so we try to look at a very broad spectrum of the job market just to get a sense of how much money careers are making, what's their growth outlook, and what sort of stress levels they face. And that's actually one of the major reports that we put out as part of our Jobs Rated series. Every January is a report on job stress. And that looks at the top 10 most stressful jobs from our Jobs Rated report and the 10 least stressful. Now, we go through a, a series of 11 factors to determine the stress levels. Those range from things like if your own life is at danger or if you're directly responsible for the life of another person, what sort of deadlines you face, how often are you traveling, uh, sort of th those sort of things. And you can go over the entire list of all 11 at uh, careercast.com. It's spelled out as part of our uh, uh, stress reports uh, methodology. Well, this report gets quite a bit of feedback every year because people feel like, you know, especially if they make the lowest uh, stress jobs, they usually say, well, hold on a second, my, my job is pretty stressful. And that's the thing, all jobs face some level of stress. So uh, as we started to receive feedback on this report, that was one of the things we, we wanted to do was really kind of reach out and find out what our readers had to say about their own stress levels. So for the last two years now, as part of our jobs rated report on job stress, we've included a reader survey online to determine 
who's stressed, how stressed they are, things like that. And we've seen a lot of great response on this survey. Uh, as I mentioned, this is the second time that we've done it. Last year, we got about 850 respondents. This year, over 1,000 responded. So uh, quite a bit of interest there. And what we found was that people find themselves to be very stressed on the job. Uh, of our roughly 1,100 respondents, nearly 82% said that they face on a stress level from a 7 to 10 on a 10-point scale. So you're talking about people feeling really, really uh, uh, bogged down at work and for a variety of different reasons. Keep going. You're on a roll. Tell us more. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so uh, as far as that um, 82% of people who, who score themselves as highly stressful, um, nearly a quarter of all respondents scored an 8. So that was the most popular response. Uh, 7 got about 23%. Now, not many people scored themselves at a 10 out of 10, and that's probably fortunate. I feel like if you're facing 10 out of 10 on the stress scale, you might uh, be at risk for some, some health issues. And that's something that's important to keep in mind with job stress is stress does play a part in, in our health. So if you do feel stressed at work, certainly do your best to mitigate that. Um, but as far as, organiz uh, as far as industries that we heard from, uh, we heard quite a bit from people in healthcare. That was that was our number one um, uh, responding uh, industry, and you can certainly understand why healthcare would uh, would be facing a lot of stress when you're talking about the well-being of other people, essentially being in your hands as part of your job. Uh, not only that, but the hours can be very long depending on the, the kind of healthcare that you work in. Now, something that's sort of ironic on that front is our number one least stressful job in our 2017 job stress jobs rated report was actually tied into the healthcare field, and that was a diagnostic medical sonographer. Now, the reason for that is you're talking about a career that typically you work usually like in office hours, kind of, and you're in a setting that's not like the ER typically. Now, there are some sonographers who, who will work in, in that ER kind of setting, and certainly that does uh, uh, change the variables that would, that would cause a, a job stress, uh, without a doubt. Um, but then as far as some of the other industries that we heard quite a bit from, uh, education was one that uh, we received quite a bit of response from. And that's one that I find uh, interesting in terms of stress levels, because so much of that is sort of out of the employee's hand, whether you're a professor or an elementary school teacher. Uh, the kind of stress that you're going to face is it can be up to your students, how they're responding. It can be up to, um, you know, if the curriculum changes in your district. Even federal guidelines can contribute to stress there if you're talking about having to meet standards for, like, say, for example, um, federal testing, you know, standardized testing. So that, uh, uh, that's one of the most interesting um, from, from this take, uh, takeaways that I have from this survey was, was the level of stress that people in education cite uh, as part of their job. Uh, can I interrupt you and ask, uh, um, uh, in your survey, is it possible that it's, it's a, almost a self-selecting survey that people with high stress would, would answer a question like that rather than people who uh, uh, would have less stress? And, and kind of skew the results? Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. And that's part of the reason that this isn't part of our jobs rated report, which for that we really take a, um, as I mentioned, like the methodology, we take a very scientific, analytic approach with that. This being an online survey, obviously we can't control some of the variables, like who's responding. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a direct snapshot of the overall workforce based on the percentages of, of people that we're hearing from. You know, for example, if we're not hearing a lot from people in service industries, and that makes up a huge portion of the job market. Uh, so obviously that factors in. And as you mentioned, people are more likely, I feel, to respond to a survey like this when they are feeling stressed than if they aren't. It's sort of like if you think of the comment section on an article, you know, typically the people who are going to be responding are the ones who disagree rather than those who agree. Because you know, if, if you feel positive about uh, about the product, most of the times people aren't going to go out of their way to to say that. And I feel like this is the same for an online survey. You're not necessarily going to see the people who feel 
like they're not stressed that their job's responding. And I do feel like that can contribute to the 82% scoring on the high end here. Uh, very, very true. Your website again, where people can um, uh, see this, uh, the survey and other, other information? Yeah, that's at careercast.com. Uh, we have new information going up all the time. We usually have about two jobs-related reports coming out per month. As I mentioned, in mid-April, our big report for the year comes out. And that's always uh, always gets a lot of discussion going, very exciting. Uh, so be sure to check that out. As well as our daily information, we have uh, career advice, uh, career news and trends going up uh, on our website all the time. And if you're a job seeker, uh, we have a database full of jobs through a wide variety of industries. And if you're looking for niche jobs like, in, say, information technology, we have specifically tailored sites such as it.careercast.com, and you can reach those portals by going to the main careercast.com homepage. Will you spell out the, the website? We're on radio. Oh, absolutely, yes. My apologies. That's C-A-R-E-E-R-C-A-S-T.com. Well, um, uh, uh, the, the one last question I'd like to ask you is, uh, um, how do you see the future? Do you see some jobs uh, uh, having greater demand than others? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like the trend that we've seen uh, over the last decade or so is certainly in, in information technology-based economy, you know, and that certainly stands to reason when you think of how reliant we are day-to-day -day on tech information. If, if you own, like, let's say you own your own local farm, you know, and you sell strawberries to the local grocery stores, you know, it used to be that there was a time where you just drove your truck over to the grocery store and sold your strawberries, but now you can reach an entirely global market, uh, you know, assuming that you have the infrastructure to uh, ship those strawberries, you can reach consumers now uh, online. So even something like a small mom and pop farm shop needs infra, needs IT professionals, whether it's contractors or somebody who works with them full time. So as we move more and more to that sort of um, uh, landscape, IT is going to obviously continue to be a, a booming sector. And healthcare as well, uh, in part because of the baby boomer generation is getting older and needs more uh, healthcare uh, assistance. And interestingly enough, IT and healthcare were both industries that saw job uh, growth during the Great Recession, and that's only accelerated since we've come out of the recession. So those are really kind of the two backbone industries right now uh, in the economy, and, and I believe will be uh, continue to be the direction that we move in for the next 10 years or so. Hmm. Um, what about the, the so-called gig economy? Are you seeing um, inroads into that where people are being hired for projects or specific lengths of time? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, as I uh, was talking about the jobs radio reports, our most recent one, actually enough, uh, interestingly enough, was about freelance careers, and that's something that has seen some uh, substantial growth uh, from 2004 to 2014. People who identified in their tax returns as independent contractors grew from 12% of the economy to 18%. Uh, so you're seeing growth there of about one-third. And uh, obviously with the growth of IT, that's a big contributing factor to the growth of the gig economy. If you're somebody who, uh, you know, using the analogy once again of the, of the small farm, if they need uh, website support, they aren't necessarily going to need a full-time staffer. So you can find work that way. Uh, if companies just need to contract out for, uh, you know, say one month uh, terms for a particular project, that's a great way to pick up some extra money. Now, it is certainly a risk-reward sort of endeavor because if you work independently, you're not going to have or, uh, uh, excuse me, company-provided health care. So that's one of the challenges there that, that comes up with, uh, with working in a gig economy, as well as knowing if your skill set is going to be in demand enough to get regular work. Because if you have huge gaps, that's obviously going to be uh, very difficult you know, to, to, to bring in income if you're not able to find jobs over you know, weeks and months. Well, uh, have you also noticed, I mean, we're into a new administration. Uh, has the number of jobs uh, um, openings increased with 
your company? Uh, are you seeing any trends in that area? It's a little early to tell any sort of specific trends in terms of um, uh, change in presidential administration or federal government uh, practices, uh, you know, until a, a budget's passed and that kind of thing. And typically with a presidential administration, you don't really start to see policy impact hiring um, until, you know, at the very earliest, maybe nine months in or so, because you, you do need that time to, um, for policy to, to, to begin and take effect. And the most recent Department of Labor numbers uh, for February 2017 in terms of the number of new hires was around 200,000, which is holding pretty steady for the month-to-month -month growth that's been uh, the case since about 2013. So for about the last four years or so, three years or so, I would say uh, closer to that, it's been pretty consistent in, the, in that growth range from about 100,000 to 200,000. So there's been no real change yet. Well, one, one other question. Have you seen any trends in terms of, uh, we hear figures that say that most jobs are, are created by, by small businesses, but, but do you see anything in, in your numbers to back this up or any of uh, data? Unfortunately, that's a, a tad outside of my area of expertise, just because that's not something that we focus on um, at CareerCast specifically. Now, that is a, a great idea for a potential future jobs rate report, however. That, that might be one that we uh, have to uh, study a little more closely. If you do that survey, we'd be very interested in it because, uh, because uh, people, you know, say small business are the engine of job growth, but no one's ever, in my view, uh, really done a survey to prove that point. Yeah, I, I feel like that's, uh, you hear that mentioned sort of anecdotally, but yeah, absolutely, being able to, uh, to pull up the hard numbers on that, I feel like would be uh, important to back that up. Well, we we both got our work cut out for us then, don't we, Kyle? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're talking with Kyle Tenzing. He's uh, the editor of Career Jobs. He's uh, been talking about his survey on stress and been giving us some really terrific uh, uh, information. And Kyle, um, any last thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? Um, about the, the survey and about things in general that you've run across? Sure, yeah. You know, as far as our survey goes, uh, as I kind of alluded to earlier, if you feel really stressed at your workplace, interestingly enough, we found in that survey a high correlation in terms of the number of people who say they wish they could leave their job and the number of people who received at least a bachelor's degree to get into their career. So I think what that's saying is that people feel like they're tied into a job where maybe they feel stressed out or unsatisfied because they spent the money to go to college and get a degree and follow a very specific path. And given how much student loan debt there is in our country, I feel like that's a, that's a very justified fear that people might have. You know, if you spend all this time to go to college to get your bachelor's degree and if you go on and get a doctorate or a master's, you know, that's even more money and more time that you've invested, it's not too late to change your career path. And there's alternative methods now of uh, obtaining training for, for certain jobs. Um, you know, whether it is going back to your local community college, you know, on your weekends or that sort of thing, you shouldn't let that be the number one thing that keeps you from switching careers if you feel like you're not in the right job for you. And that's one of the things at CareerCast.com. We have some, some information and uh, advice on making a switch in careers if you are, you know, bound to a specific industry because of your degree or if you're looking to get started in something new and aren't really sure, you know, what first steps you need to take, I recommend checking out uh, CareerCast.com. We have some advice to that end. And certainly don't let that be the thing that keeps you from making a career switch. You know, that's ironic because um, in the most recent uh, Bones episode of the TV series, one of, one of the main characters is encouraged by, uh, uh, by Bones, uh, the, uh, uh, one of the co-stars, to reconsider his career. 
and I, I found that a, 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 here was a person that was going for his doctorate, and she was saying to him, uh, you, you don't have the passion for it. Go and do something else. I, uh, it was such a, a, a switch uh, that it kind of stopped the show, and I thought it was very interesting. Uh, and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, during the uh, uh, sit-in down in uh, lower Manhattan uh, a couple of years ago, a woman raised a sign and said uh, she had spent $180,000 to learn the women's uh, uh, women's studies and she couldn't find a job and so, someone said to her why don't you get another uh, uh, specialty you're so uh, right about this uh, um, uh, it's so unexpected from you Kyle but it's so true you're very accurate well I'd certainly like to think so <laughs> and at least on this front too you know if you don't have a passion for a, a particular career I think it's a if you think of the amount of time that you spend on the job, you know, the average person. If you're working a 40-hour job, chances are you're working more than 40 hours. And then you also add things like travel time to commute to and from. You know, you're, you're talking about a huge portion of your life is spent in the job. If you don't feel passion for it and if you don't feel satisfied by it, there's no reason that you shouldn't try to uh, branch out and try something new. And kind of going back to that gig economy thing, the growth of that, I feel like, is an interesting avenue for people to kind of test the waters. You know, if you use some of your downtime to maybe work in a field that's always fascinated you, find out if it really is the right fit without maybe necessarily jumping full in and finding out that you're not suited for it. You're so so accurate. Kyle, you've got to come back after April and tell us more about your others surveys because you certainly gave us a lot to think about today. That would be my pleasure. Welcome. Well, we've been talking with Kyle Tensing. He's editor of Career Jobs. I'm getting it correct. Career Cast. Am I not Kyle? It's a Career Cast. Uh, say it again. Career Cast. Uh, cast C-A-T. Please keep that in mind, ladies and gentlemen. Go go to his website, and uh, we certainly hope to see him again here on the program. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with other guests invited to help you, our audience, improve operations, expand marketing, reduce cost, enable better personnel management, and add profits. Remember, all of our shows are archived at www.blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. You can hear this show and all others at your leisure. If you like the show, tell others about it. Want to make a comment or be a guest? Email us at editor at is-incorp.com. Your host was Don Mazella, Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Until next time, keep faith with the ideals that made America great. And remember, small business is still the backbone of commerce.